0: Hello! Hello everyone! Welcome to episode 22 of In My Body podcast. This is Tammy. And this is Yokes.
1: How are you feeling right now, Yokes? <laughs>
0: I'm feeling good. <laughs> Why the sudden uh, excitement, Tammy? I don't
1: know. I ended a short practice of Facilitating a short TCTSY mm. trauma-centered, trauma-sensitive yoga practice. Mm. Um, I'm feeling in more in my body right now, mm. so there's more energy, I guess. Yeah, te- um,
0: I was in the same practice, <laughs> 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 and I really and I feel like that practice was uh, very much needed from whatever was happening this morning. Mm. As well So thank you so much, Tammy If you're interested in the practice You're welcome to tune in to episode 21 Where uh, you will find the short 10 to 12 minutes Of um, movement Hopefully mm-hmm. to help you ease out of um, Whatever you might be experiencing For that day or for that evening mm. So how have you been, Tammy? I have been, in
1: a way, caregiving for my husband Mm. Um, he had COVID He was tested positive mm. Uh, mm. Over the weekend mm. And I thought I could spend A long weekend
0: with him um, Yeah But ended up I felt more busy mm. uh, And we were talking mm. about this Just now about how Caregiving is actually A tremendous amount of work Isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. From planning our meals even ordering them or cooking them, prepping them is, is really... It sounds like just one task, but there's a lot of steps to it. And there's a lot of clean up and washing that entails. Um, before I knew it, it was the next meal. <laughs> and uh, in between, I had to also do my own stuff, like my own readings. I also had to attend a seminar as well. Um so i was also mentally tired
0: i'm sure and, and possibly bodily too you would say mhm mm. um but
1: it was still hard to rest i think for um, me yeah
0: yeah that's true yeah. that's true
1: i think one thing is the the part about needing to be with my husband and the other part of me is also feeling that it, like i just couldn't rest because I couldn't, and maybe I didn't want to. Mm. Yeah, so mm. there was this a lot of drive in me that I couldn't stop.
0: I think that what whatever you're saying right now totally reminds me of the previous episode we just did with Lee, where we talk about how hard it is to surrender, yeah. and the need for control. Yes. Right. And I I guess when, you know, facing having to take care of uh, a loved one from, uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, it, it's also bringing a lot of sense of unsafety or like, you know, you mm-hmm. have to cope with this threat right now in the household. And so it's, it's your body is really needing that sense of control and so it's very hard to give it up and you just want to like make sure everything is prepped, everything is clean, yeah. everything is in control because, you know, there is something out of control called COVID-19 in the mm-hmm. household now.
1: Thanks for bringing this up I think Yeah, it really reminded me of what Lee said That the journey of surrendering is, is going to be ups and downs It's mm. not going to be the end mm. uh, It is a process lah. Yeah, And it's a process. it just reminded me that I'm in it mm. And it also yeah. made me appreciate our caregivers mm. Either of their children Taking care of their children Or a person who is not well Or an older adult how caregiving I, I know in my mind That caregiving is challenging But now I could really feel it in my body mm-hmm. How difficult cha- uh, caregiving can be mm. Even though it's just That few days And maybe that tasks That I need mm. to do So I can't imagine For our caregivers Who have to do this For
0: many many years Oh that's Yeah, yeah That is so true Not just this period Where there's, yeah. there's an illness Right well, um, if you're listening and if whether you are nursing a recovery from COVID-19, we, we know that recently there's been a surge or a wave. Or whether you are caring for someone who is recovering, um, you know, do what you need to offer support for yourself, uh, whether it be pockets of time
2: mm-hmm.
0: or whether it be uh, just something that you can access right away movement or making a beverage that you know can soothe you or whether there's a very short opportunity if you are able to leave the house just you know going downstairs for a very short walk anything that that you know can bring you that moment of ease and peace Mm -hmm. and and if you know leaving the house is difficult again you're welcome to tune into um, episode 21. 21 Uh, where you will be able to find that uh, practice, and and I, I know that some listeners are tuning into us as they are nursing, mm-hmm. and uh, nursing a recovery from COVID nineteen, so feel free to yeah just tune in to any of the episode, and may you know that conversation that we had that particular day, offer some mm, some ease some soothing uh, some comfort of any sort Mm. yeah so thank you lean for writing in to let us know that it was helpful to to tune into one of our episodes as you recover from uh, your COVID-19 experience Mm. well speaking of caregivers and caring for others shall we introduce um, our guest for today yes yes and and uh, it's it's, it's, I'm feeling quite bittersweet right now and, and our guest may or may not know this But uh, she's our last guest for this season <laughs> <laughs> I hope
1: all of you are not shocked by this uh, <laughs> I'm uh, really shocked
0: by this <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay Welcome Ilaya. <laughs> Welcome
2: Ilaya. Yay Yay. Thank you, Tammy and Yokes, for having me here. Um, I feel really honoured to be the last guest <laughs> for the first season right now.
0: Uh, f- uh, how do we actually uh, properly pronounce your name? Were we okay with Ilya?
2: Yes. So my full name is Ilya Rani. It means young queen in Tamil. Wow, <laughs> yeah, young so, queen. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Ilya is fine, some friends also call me Rani for short. I see, yeah. I see. Welcome to the show. Um, I forgot how we met. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I kind of reached out to you through Instagram because I've okay. been following your journey for a bit. Okay. Um, and also one of my friends, when I was leaving social work, uh, one of my friends actually introduced you to me, um, saying that we kind of had similar paths. Um, mm. In terms of wanting to explore yoga and really mm-hmm. looking into body-based healing instead of just the more cognitive therapy or counselling that we used to provide in social work. Right. right. Yeah, so I kind of knew about you before, but then I, I didn't reach out until like, I started listening to the podcast and I was like, you know what, <laughs> I think I should, um, especially knowing that the both of you also graduated from the Trauma Centre, Trauma Sensitive Yoga certification and I just completed mine so I was like I want to know like what others are also doing with this Mm. practice and how they're offering it to to people in the community because I feel like that's really a missing piece right now Mm. in in Singapore especially
0: wow it, no, I wanted to say, right, that, that even before you reached out to me on Instagram, I was actually already following your handle. Uh-huh. And, and I just loved um, all the little snippets and, and the content that you put out around um, just loving and caring for ourselves. And and it, it, you've done it with really beautiful, very soothing visuals as well. And and so when I first came across, I think someone recommended Someone pointed me to your uh, Instagram handle which by the way what uh, is it maybe we can you can just tell your tell, tell listeners now it's
2: called wild wonder coach mm, how do you spell that <laughs> I, I was expecting you to <laughs> ask me that um it's w i l d mm. w o n d e r coach c o a c h mm, yeah so feel free to check out wild wonder, wonder
0: coach <laughs> Um, if you are able to, I really love um, the sharing and the wisdom that Elia shares with us. So yeah, actually, I have already been stalking you before <laughs> you reach out to me, and I think as you are sharing um, some of your experiences doing TCTSY, uh, the program itself, trauma center Tra- trauma sensitive yoga. I, again, I feel this bittersweet feeling because um, in September last year, Tammy and I started this podcast because we just graduated back then mm-hmm. and we were wondering, you know, what do we do with um, all this uh, knowledge that we have picked up, the skills that we have learned from the program and we wanted a space to have conversation with each other around how do Singaporeans feel and, and live and learn to be in their body? You know, Are there opportunities for us to do that? And also, how do we experience trauma? Or, or rather, how does trauma live in, in our bodies here in Singapore? So I think it's, it's very befitting that in our last episode, we have Elia, who just graduated mm-hmm. from this year's program and you know, we'd love to hear from you fresh out of the oven. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your thoughts um, around that? But before that, maybe introduce to um, our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you as a person?
2: Yeah, I remember you asking <laughs> the previous guest. Hey, on this the one show. is a
0: regular <laughs> listener. <Some must> have <laughs> <Yes. questions. laughs>
2: And I think this is one of the questions that I've been like thinking about and trying to come up with that perfect answer of Mm. like, oh, who am I really, like if I strip away all of my identities, all of my roles, like who am I underneath? And I think I'm still sitting in that question of exploring who I really am. But I would say that right now, the way that I'm feeling is that I am simply like a spiritual being, like I'm here to offer something to people I am here with a sense of purpose um, and that purpose is to be present with the people in my life and the people that I'm meeting through my work and to be able to offer a safe space for them to meet themselves at a much deeper level than they might be used to
1: Wow, I can feel that spiritual side of you or that you wanting to support uh, people who who needs it and i'm wondering uh, what led you to this journey uh, of ex like exploration and being where you are right now
2: okay would you like the long story or the short story oh, we always like the long stories okay i guess i would start from going back to when i was like a teenager um, I remember feeling like this strong urge to kind of be of service and to help people as much as possible. So I would say from around the age of 14, I felt this strong pull to go into psychology and become like, a, especially a child psychologist, like that was my first iteration of uh, a helping professional that I wanted to become. Um, and this was really driven by my own childhood experiences of feeling really lonely, um, feeling like I didn't belong in my own family, in the spaces that I was in, feeling very out of place um, and also having experienced my own version of a chaotic childhood um, and having like an absent father throughout most of my um, childhood. So all of those experiences kind of like led me towards I want to help People, especially young children, so that they wouldn't have to go through what I did, um, and that they would have someone there for them to journey with them as whatever they are experiencing. And through that, um, I kind of when when I went to university, I got exposed to social work, and that's what kind of opened up my mind to see that oh, social work was a much broader field. Um, There were so many different ways that one could help um, someone. And within social work, like earlier we were talking about the systemic thinking, right? So it's like really understanding the interconnections between all the social problems and things that people are going through that kind of just let me um, feel that, okay, I think social work is my path. So I went into social work feeling really passionate about it. feeling very enthusiastic to start working and I actually got my first job as a social worker before I even graduated so I started working part-time as well Um, and I was really really eager and like to go into the field to do the direct work and to help clients but then I started realizing (laughs) that I was trying to help people who might not really be at the stage where they want to receive the help yet
0: Mm.
2: and i think that happens a lot in social work especially Mm. when you have to do like crisis management or where there's like child protection concerns family violence where Mm. um the state does come in and you know you have a certain authority to to protect the children to do certain things and while all of that was necessary i just like i just started Taking a step back and like reevaluating my role and what I was doing as well and how I was really helping. And during that process, I also felt that deep calling to like slow down, because <laughs> I think, um, as you know, like in social work, sometimes things tend to move at a very fast pace, mm. especially when we are meeting with clients who are facing crisis after crisis in their lives. There's also this tendency to kind of take on the anxiety and take on that sense of urgency to do things really fast. And I think when we start to do things really fast, we actually are not able to see the real or the deeper issue that is creating all of the crisis in the first place. And then we go into that reactive mode. And I think my body was just calling me to slow down. So, I just felt this strong urge to to practice yoga. Um, I kept, like, I think my mind or like something in me was just telling me that, oh, start going for yoga classes or like connect to your body. Because I was like living in my mind almost like all the time. Like, my mind was constantly thinking of something, constantly worrying about my clients, um, coming up with ideas for how to support them. And yeah, there's so many things going on in my mind that I'd completely forgotten my body. Thankfully, I didn't have to go through like a a huge health crisis or anything like that. Um, I was just, I think I just felt the call and I, I started listening to that call to like, okay, slow down and to pay attention to my body and to move into yoga Um, and then I went to do my master's and I used that opportunity to kind of slow down and when I came back I decided I'm going to take a break from direct work and just uh, maybe do some indirect practice and then that's when I did my first yoga teacher training Mm -hmm. And I think through that yoga teacher training, it just kind of opened my mind and my eyes to realize that, oh, this this felt more like where I belonged. (laughs) That pace, the slower pace of life felt more like me, um, what I'm meant to be doing and how I'm meant to be perhaps even serving people to guide them back to their bodies, not necessarily being on the front lines and helping people in crisis. Because even though I could do that, I just felt like it wasn't sustainable for me and the energy that I have. Um, And I realised that I needed to to be well in order to be able to serve people at my best or to contribute at my highest level. If I wasn't well, if I wasn't sustaining myself, then I'm going to show up in a way that's not going to be the most helpful for my clients. So I think that's what kind of made me draw back and really think about, okay, how do I want to show up? How do I want to serve clients and serve the people? Um, and yeah, I think along all of those lines, the spirituality kind of came in because I've, I always used to ponder the meaning of life since young. I think that's been like a constant for me and which is why I always like felt different as well from other people my age. <laughs> wow. Thank
0: you so much for that story. I have so much. I'm curious to unpack, Tammy. One of the sentences you just shared just hit me so hard. I need to be well so that I can do my best and contribute um, the best that I can. Mm -hmm. Right? And as you were saying that, that, I connected to what you said earlier on which is that many social workers are living in their heads mm-hmm. and so out of their bodies because realistically, there's a lot of crisis that they may have to handle. There may be a lot of chaos in the client's lives who they are supporting and just so much more You know, are, are the demands mm-hmm. of the work. And oh my gosh, yeah, I, I'm finding so many things I want to unpack with you. Tammy, is there anything that just comes to you immediately that you want to get curious with? And you are also a social worker, yes, Tammy? Well, we are all social workers here. So, yeah, anything?
1: Um, I think the first thing that struck me was the part on taking on other people's uh, anxieties or mm-hmm. concerns. Mm. So the word take on uh, really hit me and it... Mm. It brought back to my own experiencing experience of taking on other people's emotions as well. Yeah. And that was yeah. when I started to feel burnt out.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um it felt like I was carrying other people's bag baggage. Mm. And um a lot of the emotions that I took on was anger and mm. anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I remembered uh, a bodily reaction that I had. Uh, something like within me felt like a, a a ball in my belly that wanted to burst out. Yeah. At that time, I couldn't differentiate uh, whether it was my reaction or it's a it's a feeling that I took on. So it was a bit muddled. And at the end of it, I I took their comments, their emotions. Quite personally as well mm-hmm. Yeah And I started to think That I didn't uh, I wasn't a good enough Social worker For for them mm-hmm. Because They are angry They are anxious And the matter is not resolved mm-hmm. So it brought back These <laughs> memories mm-hmm. uh, as, as you were saying So uh, I'm wondering If Yeah Would you like to Speak to this Taking on Or yeah. Any comments?
2: Yes, you were sharing that. I was just thinking that because I, I just spoke to one of my ex colleagues yesterday, and she was sharing that she has a sim- She's going through something similar right now, uh, where she feels like she's she has invested so much emotions in her work with her clients that she is actually feeling anxious um, about wanting to help them and then feeling like she's not doing a good enough job because of it, because she feels like she's not able to support them in the way that they need right now. And it just made me think that how, I think helping professionals, social workers, we tend to take on the responsibility of our clients' lives. Like we try to take over for them and try to solve their issues. When really, uh, we talk about empowerment a lot in our sector, but to what extent are we truly embodying that principle of empowerment because empowerment is for the client to be able to solve their own problems to be able to take full responsibility for their own lives and i think sometimes maybe the way that we have been conditioned to to practice social work right now is actually we are there as the fixers. we are there to be the ones to solve the issues so when the issues don't get solved then we tend to think that it's our fault like We we are not doing a good enough job. And to the point about taking on um, our clients' emotions and our clients' problems, I think a lot of people who do join the social work field um, or maybe even become a helping professional, they are very empathetic, right? So we have this tendency to empathize with our clients so much and feel for them so much that we, we end up not setting a clear boundary, like emotional boundary between us and our clients. And I think that's where, like you said, the emotions kind of get muddled up. And I, I experienced that um, as well when I was working directly with my clients in the past, and even right now because I do see a few clients for counselling and I'm much more aware of it when it happens. So um, recently I met a client who went through a traumatic loss um, of a sister at a young age and I noticed myself, there was a part of me that was like on the verge of tears during the session as she was sharing it because I just felt so much for the client's loss, like I could feel the pain of a loss. Um, and after the session, I had to take a step back for myself, and to also recognize that that pain is for my client to carry, and my role here is to be with my client so that she feels supported to experience her pain and grief, the loss of her sister. Um, and I think that's what was missing for me previously um, when I was working as a social worker. Like I, I still didn't learn um, and then recognize how to differentiate between what is my client's issues and emotions to carry and what is my own um, so that I can create some boundaries for myself so that I can stay well well enough to be able to support them in the way that they need I think other than just um, us as
0: individual professional or social worker feeling like, you know, we need to fix our clients' problems or whenever they come through the agency's doors, it is our job as the social worker to help them resolve whatever problems it is because, you know, they come in with a lot of um, challenges and barriers, right, to access resources. I think other than the individual workers, a lot of it is also, say, um, organizationally, the expectation of the workers, as well as societally. Yes. What do we expect our social workers to do? And mm-hmm. and many times we may find that right now in Singapore, the expectation is that, oh yeah, the social workers will be the one fixing it. And it's, it's, it's almost, and I don't know um, if both of you remember your experiences or currently facing it right now, like when you have, say, a group meeting, and there would be different professionals. Maybe there are the doctors, the medical professionals, the social workers, someone from HDB or from housing, uh, someone looking at um, food or money, financial assistance. And at some point, the discussion may come to a standstill because everyone is just looking at each other, expecting that that person will be the one fixing fixing or resolving um, the, the problem that we have and so I, I feel like it's, it's not just the, the professional um, ourselves but also collectively, uh, organizationally and maybe even at the societal level, that's how we view social work. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite curious um, for you Elia after how long have you been in the sector?
2: So in direct practice, I would say about five years. Um, five years. Yeah.
0: Hmm. After that, doing several years in the sector, what would you envision uh, social work to be like if it can be at the most ideal uh, way? And I really like what you said about boundaries, actually. And to me, that's my one of my ideal elements in social work, which is that, When social workers come into this space to support the clients that they are with, there is a very clear idea of the boundaries that they are drawing and being able to uh, draw this clear boundary such that they don't end up taking home or taking in, almost like consuming Mm. the strong emotions or even the challenges that the clients are living with. I've experienced in the past taking home my clients' problems, mm-hmm. right? and end up at home. I still continue to think about how am I going to solve that problem for my client. Um, so, so yeah, I'm curious. You know what might be your vision of what social work can be after um, having done your ex- uh, having done your time
2: in this field. That's a really big question. <laughs> it's something that I used to think about a lot. Um, when I was still in the sector (laughs) and I think before I left, one of the things that I was trying to do with my previous organization was to to guide people more towards a trauma, becoming a more trauma-informed organization Um, and I think my experience um, doing my master's in the U.S. and then also taking on the trauma center, trauma-sensitive yoga course All of those kind of reinforce this idea that we really need more trauma-informed organisations for the workers as well as for the clients. Because I think the way that the system is currently set up actually takes away a lot of power from the clients and it puts the power into the hands of social workers, of managers or whoever is controlling the resources. And that actually is not helpful for the social workers or the people who are doing the helping because then that places all of the responsibility on them. A lot of pressure with, with, you know, carrying so much of power as well. So I feel like we need social services to be more, more trauma informed in the sense that we are truly sharing the power with our clients and engaging them in a way that they get to make decisions for their own lives. And sometimes we have this idea that, oh, they're not in the position to make the right decisions for their life or the best decisions for their life. So we think that we know better than them. But it's true that sometimes clients, because they're still stuck in that crisis mode, they're still stuck in that sympathetic nervous system activation that, you know, thinking clearly is not possible or available to them in that moment then that's where I see our role as coming in to guide them back towards uh, more clarity for themselves and to be able to access their own wisdom to recognise what is going to be best for their lives. So I, I think that's where there's potential for social work to also evolve instead of just um, controlling resources or handing out resources to clients. I think there's so much more room to explore and expand. And.
0: Tammy, because you're still in the field, how would a trauma-informed organisation look like to you? Actually, it's basically about
1: the same as what Elia has mentioned. Uh, one thing that I took away from my my supervisor is, is about handing the power back to the client. So we are in a position of power as the expert. Like Our clients come to us thinking that they can we can help them solve problems so sometimes they hand to us their power and if you look if there is a visual there is like this seesaw and we are on the the seesaw where we are on top in social work organizations we are on top of the seesaw and the clients are at the bottom so there is a power difference and Sometimes we do put ourselves in this position Or sometimes our clients may put us in that position So what we want to do is to balance out the seesaw And hand our clients back the power And we are there to actually facilitate their growth or, For example, in, in the place that I work with uh, The setting um, There is a lot of care planning Because older persons, they are usually unwell And they need someone to take care of them Sometimes, uh, and usually there will be a caregiver or maybe there's a lack of caregiver and there's a care partner who needs to come in to, uh, to be there as part of the caregiving process. Um, I find that a lot of us tend to think that, for example, for persons living with dementia, they may not be able to make decisions for their care or they make unwise decisions for their care. And then we tend to put that judgment on them. So we make the decisions for their care, or we turn to their caregiver to ask them to make the decisions um, without considering the persons living with dementia, what they think or what they wish in the planning of care process. Yeah. Um, So that happens a lot and usually I think it's important that uh, in my setting we do have a lot of group discussions and we do talk openly about such issues. Um, Having a supervisor with... uh, I think she doesn't call herself trauma-informed but the practices that she... uh, the principles that she embodied is is really trauma-informed to me. Um, So... In the care planning process, we do involve our older persons, uh, even though we think that they may not make the best decisions, but we do involve them in the care planning process. And we do consult the care partners and the caregivers as well. So everyone comes, so everyone has a part, uh, a piece to play in the caregiving and care planning process, and we all come together to discuss, to see what would be the best for the person living with dementia. Um ideally this is the situation now. But of course sometimes there will be some challenges to this. Uh, but this is something like to distribute the power to different people in the care planning process is uh something that we, we look at quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah I think it's this power thing. Uh, and to bring everything back to a balance. And we are there not as an expert but a facilitator in this process.
0: I guess what I'll add to this conversation is my hope for a trauma informed organisation or a trauma informed social work sector is for everyone to recognise that the moment you step into trauma work, you will be exposed to the effects of trauma whether or not you are a frontline worker or you are uh, a support manager or you are the leader of the organisation. Even if you don't have direct experience or, or working with the clients there is still that effects that we are all exposed to. And so I wish that There can be transparency a lot more transparency especially for parts of the sector where uh, the organizations have to deal with crisis where the organizations have to deal with safety issues uh, dealing with violence Mm -hmm. there can be transparency when nobody has answers it's okay Mm -hmm. to say that we don't have clear answers right now but we can talk about what uh, available options that we can explore, what could be clients' suggestions, what could be the workers' suggestions, and, and I'm speaking to the leaders like, and, the, and the managers, and um, not feeling like I have to embargo information, right, because you are in leadership. I think in that spirit of transparency, whether there could be, you know, in my best, Case scenario or hopes for the sector is that we can offer pauses, especially when we do crisis work. Right, I know that the reality is that it hits one after another. You know, we uh, the workers are dealing with one crisis after another. But does that mean that the organisation cannot take pauses? You know, I I feel, and I feel like that's something that the TCTSY program or after. Uh, embarking on this journey of body-based healing, I've learned how important and powerful pauses can be for our nervous systems, uh, for our bodies and for us to maybe stop living in our heads for a moment and using that pause to all return back into our body before we resume uh, talking about whatever we're dealing with at the moment yeah so so that's 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 how I feel my vision of what it can look like
2: yeah I really love that idea of pauses like I think that's so necessary to really slow down the pace intentionally so that we can support the clients because if you are going to mirror their energy of being in the crisis and being so anxious all the time about their situation, that's not going to be helpful for them as well. Because then we are just kind of feeding off each other's um, anxiety as well um, and frustrations. Um, but I think we really need that pause so that we can show the client that there's another way that's possible as well for them to also take a pause and evaluate what's going on in their lives and what do they need in this moment.
0: But something you said just now uh, piqued my interest, which is you said uh, you were just talking to your ex-colleague yesterday, mm-hmm. and she was sharing. Was it? Uh, I don't. I can't remember. Was it she who yeah. shared that uh, she's taking on clients' emotions and mm-hmm. things like that? So, are you still supporting some of uh, these workers uh, even as you stepped out of uh, direct practice?
2: Yes, so actually one of the reasons why I left my previous organisation was to start up my own coaching practice um, for helping professionals um, because I felt like there wasn't enough support for them. And I think within organisations the level of support can really vary um, and also the senior workers might, <laughs> themselves might have certain challenges and so might not be able to appropriately support their junior workers in the way that they need to be supported. And I was really thinking about how I I could create a more holistic program that would support the individual workers like nervous system, reconnecting them back to their bodies, while also working with their mindset, with their ability to um, set clear boundaries for themselves and to negotiate and advocate for themselves within their organizations. Because like you said earlier, we we don't live in silos, right? So it's whatever the individual worker is going through, I feel like it's not just their issue, it's really a systemic issue. It's because of the way that they have been shaped by the organisational culture that they are in. um, And that is also shaped by the larger sector, the way services are organised in Singapore. Mm. And as I was thinking about it, I realised that I can't really, at, at this point, I'm not in the position to be able to influence change at the higher level. So I wanted to start with the individual worker and for them to also recognize their internal system of parts, the different, um, yeah, the different parts that they are dealing with. So when we learn how to look within and care for our internal system of parts, then we, be, then we can become more present in our lives and be able to offer that care and that compassion to, to people, to the clients in our lives. Mm. I love it. I, I love this
0: idea of coaching. I mean, we've heard coaching Coaching has become very common these days, mm-hmm. but I haven't quite heard of coaching for social workers. So uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the field, uh, there's also clinical supervision. right? So uh, help us understand uh, how is your uh, coaching for helping professionals, for social workers different from clinical supervision and with your uh, positioning, you know, or rather with your focus on your body, um, how would you say this might be a different experience from a clinical supervision?
2: So I think for clinical supervision, um, it's really necessary to have that for workers because that is where you get to process the cases, the clients that you're dealing with, and to be able to receive support In that sense in terms of how you're making sense assessing your clients issues and how the interventions that you're offering the clients whether it's appropriate um, or not appropriate um, if you know there are other things that you also want to be to be mindful of to be attending to your own emotions or reactions to towards your clients issues so I I feel like that's what most clinical supervisors deal with Um, some of them It really depends on the orientation of the supervisor as well. Some of them tend to be task-focused and maybe focus more on the administrative portions. And then others can be more clinical, more emotional and provide that support. Yeah. Um, Where the coaching comes in, I feel, is that I take into consideration not just – I'm not just looking at your career and I – definitely don't ask you to share anything about your cases or your individual work with your clients. This coaching is really for you as a person. So one of the things um, when I was previously still a social worker, I realised that we tend to really separate these personal and professional roles mm. to the extent that we say that, oh, we shouldn't be bringing in our personal into the professional and mm. and then we try to create this um, this line between them, which really doesn't exist. <laughs> I, yeah, I I disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot hear you. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I realized that in order to be. Um, I don't want to say like a good social worker but in order to really provide your best value as a social worker or as a helping professional, I feel like it really draws from your sense of wholeness. Your, because we talk about how in the therapeutic space, your, the, your use of self is your best tool for supporting clients.
0: I was just going to say that there is so much of the use of self in social work. Yes, please continue.
2: Yes, so we talk about the use of self and yet we don't have anything that really supports our self, our core or true self, I would say. Because we are not taking into consideration our own histories, what we have gone through, how that has shaped us into the person that we are today. Um, and instead, we are trying to create this like false role as a professional and to say that, okay, this is my professional role. Everything about who I am outside of this role, outside of work, I can't bring into this space and that becomes really limiting because I've seen a lot of professionals also with their own histories of trauma and that actually affects their work. Um, their ability to to stay present with some of their clients because sometimes the client's trauma can actually trigger off their own memories of their past trauma. And if all of those things are not being addressed um, and we say that, oh, just leave your personal at the door before you enter work, um, then it's really not supporting the worker. Um, and if you don't support the worker, the worker is not going to be able to prep, to be present enough to support the families to be supporting the clients. I, I,
0: yeah, and, and I, I really want to build on that because just as you know if we just as we come into the work, for some of us carrying previous traumas in our life histories and in our bodies, and we can get triggered if uh, you know, we don't do anything about it and then we just simply say personal is personal, professional is professional. Uh, nothing in my personal history is going to come in and influence my professional life as a social worker. On that same thread, right, and I, I feel like the power to empower our clients come from the same source, which is our own history of pain, mm-hmm. our own history of suffering. And so it's, it's very powerful if we take time to, first of all, do our own work. Like you said, you know, uh, working on ourselves, uh, perhaps using the coaching that you offer or just seeing ourselves, who we are. As a person uh, confronting or working through some of our own histories, and and we learn from trauma experts like uh, Peter Levine, Bessel van der Kolk, they've all consistently shared about how when we are able to move through and work through um, some of the traumas that we carry, uh, you know, the the other side we are going to find immense and also innate pool of strength. And a lot of this strength lies in our bodies. And this is exactly the pool of strength that we can tap into to support our clients or to support the clients that you serve, to tap into their strengths, right? And and so, and I also personally believe, I, I mentioned this before in the previous, one of the previous episodes, which is that I believe the bulk of helping professionals Carry our own trauma history. That is a very reason why we are drawn to the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I I I I totally agree about how there's a lot of use of a. Uh, there's a lot of use of the self in this work, and precisely because there's a lot of use of the self, it is so pertinent for um, social workers and helping professionals to take time to work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to bring ourselves back to the present moment, to tap into our own strengths so that we can offer our best selves to uh, the clients that we are serving. Yeah, yeah that's just something I, I wanted to say as you were sharing that.
1: Actually, I, I would just like to share a comment based on what both of you have shared. Um, I think the use of self is not really much talked about in the social work. Really? I, I think so. Oh, okay. I mean, based on the organizations that I come <laughs> from, uh, it's only when I've been through the certier, um therapy training, mm-hmm. then I got to know more about the use of self, mm-hmm. what it really means in my body, mm-hmm. and to trust into the wisdom of my being, mm-hmm. uh, my life force. I mean, all of these things I don't really hear outside the Satya practice. Mm. Yeah. And I wonder if um, the disconnect between like the personal and the professional self uh, is also a, a way of coping with our own trauma mm. that we decide to... Like whatever that we meet, we, we start to disconnect already. Mm. So it seems like in the profession, uh, Generally, there's already this disconnect and this trauma response happening. Do you mean
0: like, oh, I deal with it professionally so I don't have to deal with my own personally or do you mean something else?
1: Uh, yeah, so I just deal with it person- uh, mm. professionally and yeah. I leave yeah. myself out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I do hear that often mm. and the use of self, I don't, I don't really hear that much. Mm. So I, I do see these two... Concepts or Whatever that we bring out Like on two ends Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the profession now But actually Mm. When we are in social work When we are in a healthy profession We are dealing with people's life Mm. And inevitably Whatever that they share Will definitely affect us In every level Like in our minds Or maybe in our body We might feel a reaction That might happen Subconsciously Mm. Or Not within our control as well Mm. and a lot of the issues that our clients face um, does trigger a lot of helplessness. Mm. Mm. And I also wonder if fixing, it is a coping, a trauma coping to Uh, helplessness.
0: Wow, wow, wow. wow. Uh, Sorry, it's just hitting me at like different... (laughs) Boom, boom, (laughs) boom, boom. boom, boom. (laughs) So say that,
1: say that again slowly. <laughs> so when we are trying to be fixers, when we want to f- uh, find solutions, different, different solutions for people's problem underlying it, uh, we are dealing with our clients' helplessness. Mm. Are we also dealing with our own helplessness when we meet clients' helplessness? Yes. And I think helplessness is a, it does trigger a bodily response mm-hmm. um, that might be not within our control as well. Yeah, and sometimes a lot of us cope with it in our minds mm-hmm. by maybe having that disconnect. I will not bring myself into the picture. I'll just solve the client's problem. Then it will also, in a way, solve our helplessness of the, of the, mm-hmm. our client situations. Mm. So I wonder, I mean, that's what I yeah. seem to
0: see now as both of you speak. I think of this, uh, it might seem very minute and possibly a little bit like, huh, this example. But I have an image in my mind as you were saying that that disconnect and how we purposely separate the personal and the professional because we just want to deal with the trauma professionally we don't want to look at anything that you know may be happening personally for us and that is this this common experience that i used to have as a social worker which is that you know sometimes when you sit with the clients and they say something that either really hits you very hard or it touches you very deeply or whatever they are going through you feel deeply affected by it as well and i had many occasions where I wanted to cry as well. But then at the back of my head, I keep thinking that's very unprofessional. I cannot cry. No matter what, I must maintain a very cool and calm demeanor. And, and I feel like the more I try to suppress my own emotion back then, the more I appear very cold, cold and um, like... Detached. Un- detached, yes. Thank you, thank you. That's, that's a good word. Uh, detached from the client and and some a few clients actually like responded back like why why are you not affected at all you know and and again that that calls for me another very professional response to them (laughs) which reinforces i feel the coldness and the detachment and you know after leaving direct services and having embarking on my own uh, body-based work and understanding this role of the body, more understanding, you know, really looking deeply into my own body, what are some of the experiences that my own body has gone through in the past. Now as I sit with my clients and I, I feel, when I feel deeply, um, I, when I feel their pain, I really feel their pain or I feel like they are joy is just so infectious I also want to cry sometimes I name it out you know I say that I can feel you know this whatever you're just sharing so deeply I can feel like there are tears in my eyes and the moment I name it and sometimes you know my tears do do roll down I can sense that immediate connection and the deepening of the connection the client has with me and very immediately, like I know in my nervous system, I know in my body, this client is present with me right now. And from what we know about trauma healing work, being able to come back to the present is such a key, a uh, mm-hmm. fundamental indicator of how they're slowly inching and moving towards uh, healing. Mm-hmm. Right, every moment of presencing is a moment of healing. So. Even if we don't say much after that, or we have no resolution to whatever they share, just being able to feel their presence, and them also giving me back that feedback that I am present with you. Thank you for hearing me. and you know, there will be times where they shared, "Thank you for giving me this space, and thank you for witnessing. It's like when, when you acknowledge your own personal uh, experiences and responses to what your client is sharing your client can can feel it can catch it and they it's it's like um, when you dance with each other you know they are re, they're responding to the dance and they are dancing with you back into the present moment and they appreciate it right it's, so, so it's like in that moment it's just two humans connecting with each other Stay tuned for the second half of this conversation as we continue to unpack with Elias.